Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Welcome to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast with your hosts Ugo Che and Ralph Velasco. So hi Ralph, how are you doing today? Hey there Ugo, I'm doing very well thanks. How about yourself? Doing good. Uh, I'm thinking that by the time this episode goes out, I'll be about two weeks away from my trip to Southeast Asia. So really looking forward to that. Uh, flying to Singapore and then exploring... Uh, a bit of Malaysia and maybe doing a little side trip to Angkor in Cambodia. Mm-hmm. I will have to ask you a little few tips about Angkor. You know, you, you owe me a few tips about that area that you know so well. I know. Absolutely. Anytime. That sounds great. I've not been to Singapore or Malaysia, just flown through. That's about it. Sounds like a nice trip. I just wanted to say that uh, I was thinking that this podcast put me in touch with so many people. Uh, a couple of those are actually being previous guests on the on the show. I'm thinking about Pete DeMarco and Matt Brandon, who currently reside in Penang, Malaysia. So I was thinking of uh, staying there for a couple of days, meeting up with them, and having them show me the place. And it's great to get to to know so many people, and then being able when when I travel to to go and meet them in person. So that that's one great thing about doing this podcast and, and getting to know all of those people that, that can now call friends i guess what, what do you think yeah oh, i absolutely agree i think uh you know certainly the internet has just opened up a, a world uh to us obviously and being able to uh, make friends around the world like you say it's uh, i feel like i have contacts almost everywhere that I could think about going and uh, you know whether we've met them in person yet or not I still consider them friends and uh, certainly uh, acquaintances that uh, uh, you know I know that I would help and that uh, are probably willing to help us as well so this is also with our guest who I've only known uh, virtually so far but we are going to to meet up soon and we'll, we'll talk about this later but first I just wanted to uh, let you maybe talk about the was that the 10th anniversary of photo enrichment adventures so i think that's a cause for celebration for you yeah just briefly uh we're coming up on our 10-year anniversary that i've been doing this full-time i've been doing a part-time about four you know, uh, about four years before that but 10 years full-time that i've been doing this and it's uh, really hard to believe because i haven't done anything for 10 years. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I've, I've jumped around quite a bit with a lot of different jobs and careers until I, like I say, uh, it only took me 45 years to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> Most people never do. But uh, here we are 10 years later, and I'm about to turn 55. And uh, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. But briefly, we're having a, a big celebration where if uh, uh, people would like to share the information uh, about our uh, this uh, this uh, campaign that we have coming up, they get ten entries to win a number of really great prizes, uh, uh, both from me and my company, but also donated by my sponsor, Think Tank Photo and Mindshift Gear. So they simply go to photoenrichment.com and they can get more information there. Great. So let's talk about our guest. She was born and raised in Italy, so it's a fellow Italian. And I was thinking that maybe this is one will be one of the few instances since she's not living in Italy anymore where she will hear her name pronounced correctly. <laughs> <laughs> because the, her name is Pia Parolin, and I guess that she now lives in France. So she probably hears it pronounced Parolin or something like that. <laughs> right, Pia? <laughs> How are you doing? Yes, hello to everybody. 
Yes, I'm really very happy that you pronounce my name in a correct way. That's really cool. <laughs> but yes, yes, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. As you said, my name is Pia Parolin. I was born and raised in Italy, but my mother is German. So I think my uh, pronunciation of English is pretty German. <laughs> so it's a mixture. And um, yeah, I lived in, in Germany and in Brazil and now the last 15 years in France. And uh, yeah, so, I'm just happy to be here on the show with you. <laughs> so a bit about your background. You're uh, you're actually a biologist, or uh, or sorry, yeah, biologist. Is that yes, right? Yes, or, yes, or yes. Or ecologist. Right. Yes, sure. both, both. I studied biology and I went into ecology, mm -hmm. tropical ecology mainly. And uh, my main field of work is in the Amazon. I have a lot of students, and we do research there to analyze how the trees can grow and uh, how um, sustainable management of the forest is possible and reforestation and all these kind of things that maybe can make our planet a better place. <laughs> and you're also a passionate photographer, but I guess you don't take many photos of trees. I mean, looking at your portfolio, <laughs> trees are your main subject. Well, maybe when you're taking photos, you want to get away a little bit from your job and, and photograph something else. I took a lot of pictures of trees actually, but it's hard <laughs> and they're quite boring. <laughs> so it's nice from a scientific point of view. I obviously took a lot of pictures also for identification and all these scientific um, reasons to use a camera. But uh, my passion is to use the camera to make other things than taking pictures of trees, obviously. <laughs> but uh, in fact, I, I started photography uh, for nature photography. I spent many years uh, traveling and so I took landscapes and beautiful landscapes, pictures of people, pictures of um, animals and plants and a lot of macro. But in a way, after a while, uh, I wanted to change. <laughs> so and so I started to... Yeah, I was meaning to ask what's your favorite type of photography that you practice nowadays? Um, well, it's only uh, two years now that I, that I discovered street photography because what I was doing for 40 years or so in my life was to avoid people in my pictures. I really didn't want them in my pictures. I wanted the landscapes and the maybe the cities without people, also because I was afraid to take pictures of the people. I didn't... Uh, want to communicate too much because it's easy to hide behind the camera <laughs> and uh, well after a certain age maybe you get the maturity or I got the maturity to, to face it and uh, started to take pictures uh, of people on purpose and I, I um, started uh, to go out to the cities and wait for people to pass by and then I had a workshop about street photography and that's where the ice was broken and I started to really enjoy taking street photography and people in my pictures. Pia, you've got a, a project coming uh, that you've got out now called the Promenade Moments. Can, tell us about that because I, I was on your website and it, it's some really unique photography and I love when photographers come up with a, a unique approach or a unique subject. And uh, we're going to certainly put links to, to your website in the show notes and some of your photographs. But tell us the story behind the, the Promenade Moments project that you've undertaken. Well, that's very nice what you say about my pictures. Thank you. Um, yeah, the Promenade Moments was born out of... Uh, it just fell from... <laughs> it, it was just there. I mean, I didn't plan to do it. Uh, it was a bit of a difficult time in my life. I went through a difficult period and um, then there were the terror attacks in, in Nice that you probably have heard about that was exactly two years ago and my kids were there and they 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 came out safely nothing happened to them but uh, a lot of people cannot say the same so I was really touched by this and so uh, to get out of this difficult situation I, I said I have to go out where people are, where you have a lot of color, where you have, have a lot of light. And the best place around here in southern France is to go to Nice, to the Promenade des Anglais, which is really a beautiful long promenade where the people go to walk, to jog, to have fun. And uh, I started to take my photographs there. And I, 
I used always the same angle, which is uh, 90 degrees towards the sea, so I always have the sea in front of me. And uh, I started to look for people with nice dresses or with uh, very colorful things. And then I um, took these pictures of the people walking by and I started to use a tripod and, and a remote control so that I could get the, the movement into my pictures. And I tried to, f to find something still like a, a blue dustbin or a, a white bench or a palm tree and uh, the people walking by. And so this is how the promenade moments came to life. Um, and in fact, it wasn't meant as a series. I just started to take these pictures and I enjoyed them all for myself. But then I have two, two friends. They are also mothers of kids of my age. And so we started to talk about photography and they motivated me and they said, you should present your pictures and uh, have a have a, an exposition. And I said, well, I don't think I have the quality to do this, but well, then there was a, an open space and I took it. And so I printed my pictures on uh, aluminum, which is very colorful and very bright and very light. And uh, I went to this exposition, which is uh, Photo Menton. It's the, the city of Menton here in Southern France that uh, has this exposition once a year with 120 photographers. And I won the first prize of the poster uh, presentation. So uh, the 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 next uh, photo mantong now will be announced with my picture on it, and that was just uh, yeah so so motivating. I mean this was really unexpected. I did not expect that my pictures were specifically uh, outstanding or something, and I was really really happy. And so now everybody uh, says yeah that I'm a photographer suddenly. I'm not a biologist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I kind of live these two lives, and I enjoy it a lot. <laughs> that's great. I, I'm sorry. sorry. Um, yeah, uh, th that's that's wonderful, Pia. Uh, and I love when something like that just sort of evolves. And uh, about over how long of a period uh, did did it take you to capture this body of work that became this exhibition? Um, I started in December, so in winter here. And when you look at the at the sea in winter, the sun is very low, you get mainly silhouettes. So I started in black and white. And I took these silhouettes with a with a light sea behind. And after a while I said, No, I can't take black and white pictures on the Côte d'Azur. I mean the the name says it, it's blue here, it's really <laughs> full of colors. And so um I waited for, for a nicer light, which is actually starting in May, you have warmer light. And so I went there in the morning or in the evening so that the light was really beautiful. And so I started, say, in May through to October. That's that last year. That was the, the period when I took all the pictures. Then I took some more in the winter, but I don't like them particularly because the light is very hard. So I start now again to take one or the other picture, although I start also new projects. I, I have to change the subject. <laughs> you can't stay with one subject for all your life. <laughs> so is this a, a done project for you or are you still developing? I wouldn't say it's a down project. I was in Nice yesterday and I took some pictures and uh, two of them I kind of liked. So I might include them in a in a in a new series or something. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there are so many ideas in my head now because I with, with this uh, starting to feel like a photographer, I started to. Uh, I wanted to to improve my my photography, and uh, I don't have so much time. I have a family, I have a job. So uh, what I do is I listen a lot to podcasts when I drive in my car, or uh, I read books. And I started also to look at Facebook and at Instagram. But I found that uh, looking at the social media, many times you you see a lot of pictures that are nice, but you see also a lot of pictures that are not so nice. And I started to think maybe it's better to take books with the old uh, classical people who, who or classical pictures like uh, Vivian Meyer or Henri Cartier-Bresson, really the old masters before I start to look at new things. So I kind of, yeah, just used my spare time to, to listen to these podcasts uh, of different styles and, uh, and uh, try to develop a bit my, my eye and my uh, graphic composition and whatever by looking at pictures that other people made. 
I'm just curious, uh, what are your favorite podcasts? I mean, aside from uh, the traveling image makers. Well, I listen to yours. <laughs> I listen to your podcast very happily. I listen a lot to Valérie Jardin. I like her a lot. I listened to uh, Thomas Leuthardt. He had a, a Swiss-German uh, podcast. Since my mother is German, so I speak German, so I listened to these podcasts. And I found them very inspiring, but he stopped. And I listen also to Marco Larousse. Uh, he's from Hamburg, a city yeah, where I live. We, we had him on so, uh, on the show as well. Yes, he I does, know. Yeah, he the podcast him, yeah. with uh, with Scott Bourne and other guests mm -hmm. of ours. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm not nice. sure I forgot someone. Uh, I hope not. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's the main podcast that I listen to, and then time cool. is over very fast. <laughs> you talk about. Uh, I love that idea of your kind of keeping the same composition where you're always shooting at the, the shore so sort of perpendicular to the promenade you've got your tripod set up are you standing behind the camera when you're doing that or you talk about using a remote are you a little bit off to the side so it's a little bit more uh, you know sort of secretive or how, how are you approaching that is it both yeah well first of all I, t I put the camera very low Uh, it's the lowest position of my tripod, so it might be 30 centimeters from the so from the ground, just because I don't want to have the beach where you have all the people and the and the umbrellas and everything. I want the minimalistic thing of my pictures. And the promenade is maybe two meters above the sea level, so it's a bit higher. And if I put my camera very low, then I just have the the Uh, the pavement and uh, and the water behind and you don't see the beach which is lower where all the colorful people are so that would uh, spoil the minimalistic approach and I'm not able to be kneeling down all the time. <laughs> just sure, sure, that makes sense. <laughs> so I stand with my remote uh, control in my hand and I wait for the people come and I click on it on the right moment i hope well many times i just miss the right moment but sometimes it works and so yeah sometimes it's just a surprise because i can't really see it. there's so much light in my eyes and my on the screen of my camera i i use a uh, an olympus camera with a with one of these screens that you can fold out and so i can stand and look at my camera down there and yeah usually it, it works out quite well <laughs> Those images have their unique look, as uh, as we said. Uh, they're very consistent, the style that you adopt. And, and it's not only the shooting. I, I know that you don't like to spend a lot of time processing your photos, but there's definitely some processing going on here to give them that, that kind of abstract, very colorful, very bright look. Can you maybe shortly describe it, how you process those photos? Yeah, so I... I try really to, to keep post-processing at a minimum. So what I do, I, I set my camera uh, to a mode of uh, one-tenth or one-eighth of a second so that I get the movement. But then with a strong light, obviously the, the picture gets really, really uh, blown out. So I use uh, gray filters, but um, still the colors sometimes are not the way I really like them. So what I do is I on uh, I, I use Lightroom on my on my computer and I take out the shadows and I take out of some of the blacks and I put in some contrast but usually I don't work more than maybe three or four minutes on my pictures and I never recompose them I really try not to cut uh, people out or put people in or something I just try to compose them right where they are it, it's a lot more fun because I mean with with Photoshop you can compose so many things but uh, I like the the more puristic uh, approach to to have the the picture right in my camera the right, way I, see I many want of it to them be in the a, end. Have a square crop, if I'm not mistaken, right? So that that's something that you yes, do yeah. After. So that that's something I do uh, afterwards because yeah, I'm I'm not a professional. I should set my camera to to square, but then I forget and then I I don't find it and then I just say okay, I crop it afterwards. <laughs> so there's, there's nothing wrong uh, about cropping later. <laughs> you don't <laughs> have to be a purist. Yeah, I but I think uh, if if you set your camera to the setting, you probably see it in a different way right away. It, I, I I want to try this in future, and uh, I also want to set my camera to black and white when I decide to take black and white pictures rather than change it afterwards on my computer. But for now, I do it like this. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's future projects. 
And I, and I love the way that you uh, explain that you have a, a stationary object in the frame, but then you're trying to capture the motion of these people either walking by or riding by on their bikes. Uh, that really sort of gives an anchor to the image and something you know, really sharp and clear, and then you've got this person or thing in motion going across the frame. That's that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, I had this idea just because uh, I started to take the picture with the people, but then sometimes they look just like a ghost and um, something was missing. And then I found these typical blue dustbins that are standing all along the Promenade des Anglais, and they are really very blue in front of this blue sea and then I started from there and, and I like liked the composition so that's how it all came. Gives you something to focus on as well, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes it easier to focus, that's true. <laughs> well, I even though I think you were shooting was the F-22 so you can just focus yeah. randomly and it will still everything will probably yeah, be sharp yeah, that's anyway. What I yeah. <laughs> good, good. So what about France, and specifically southern France, where you've been living for, what's that, 15 years, you said? Aside from the, the Promenade des Anglais, uh, what, what's so great to, to photograph in that part of the world? Um, I think there's so much, so many things that you can photograph here. You can just uh, stay in the city and, for example, Nice is, is really an interesting city. It's very, very mixed. You have people from from uh, all around the Mediterranean, I would say. I'm, it, I'm not sure it's really international, but there are lots of people coming from Northern Europe who live here, or there are a lot of Asian tourists, and so, and there are a lot of people also from Africa who live here. And if you walk through the city, you have these old, uh, beautiful buildings, and really, really a lot of different people from many countries and, and all these little shops. And so I think it's a really interesting place for street photography. And once you leave uh, Nice, then you have the little villages or, or the more even older cities like Antibes or the little, um, they call it uh, Village Perche, the, the villages there that are on top of the mountains. And these are really beautiful old uh, medieval villages with these old houses, old churches. Um, sometimes uh, there are uh, roads that are covered because the, the houses are on top. So the, you have like tunnels and you can have beautiful light effects there. And um, then obviously you have the sea, you have the mountains right behind the sea. So in winter, it's really spectacular because you have the snow, uh, snowy mountains and the blue sea and uh, and the green landscape, so it's really beautiful for the landscape as well. And yeah, I think you have a bit of everything around here. Life is very, so green, uh, really not, not many people know that actually Nice used to be part of Italy until about 150 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> so. I know, I sometimes say, what a shame we should have kept it. <laughs> speak Italian. Easier for me, actually. But I, I learned French, so now it's fine for me with France as well. I love France and I love the French culture. So, yeah, and we're growing together in Europe. So it's getting Europe and uh, we have a bit uh, mixed culture here as well. I wouldn't say that Nice is a very typical French city in a way because you have many elements coming over from Italy, which is so close really close by yeah it's, and, so, it's uh, so close that all I, the people have uh, italian names which uh, <laughs> you, you, yeah, you, so still, you still have plus garibaldi yes <laughs> plus garibaldi is a very important uh, square garibaldi the, he was born in in yes. uh, nice he was the one uh, who was very important for italy obviously his wife is buried in a in the graveyard in nice so i think the yeah nice is still has a lot of Italian character in it. The the architecture is basically Italian, so I feel very much at home there. <laughs> and indeed, I like to, to go down there as uh, as often as I can. We were also, Ralph, I know you were in that area many, many years ago, but before we started the recording, you said you, you would like to, to go back. Right. Oh, oh, for sure. I, I, uh, I was talking before the show that uh, I was there probably about 35 years ago, uh, on my post-college trip to Europe, 
and uh, niece uh, stopped there for a few days and actually ran into my geology professor on the promenade there uh, <laughs> from my school, Indiana University. And uh, so that was kind of fun. But I, I have just always been enamored with that part of, of Europe. And I've not been much other than Nice and uh, I think to, to, to Monte Carlo or Monaco and Monaco, right? And um, uh, I'd read all the uh, Peter Mail books, uh, Year in Provence, and, uh, you know, those kind of cliches. But boy, I, apparently he just passed away. But uh, I've just, uh, he is such a great writer talking about what it's like to be a uh, you know, foreigner, British citizen to purchase uh, one of those beautiful homes there. And then all the trials and tribulations of, of going, uh, of getting it uh, refurbished. So uh, I, I want to come there so badly and I want to bring a group there someday. Yeah. And I will also add that I will have the, the opportunity to to go down there very soon because uh, together with Pia, we decided to, to organize a little weekend workshop in yeah. uh, <laughs> using your, your house as a base essentially. And I will go in the city of Nice and maybe Antibes or Cannes. And uh, this can, can you maybe talk a little bit about this? So if people are interested, they can join us there. Oh, yes. yes. I'm really, really excited about this uh this uh, workshop that we are planning because I've never done this before. So I'm uh, full of ideas and uh, full of things that I think might work out, but then we can figure out together. So what I think is uh, a nice idea, we can meet in the center of Nice with a group and then just walk around the city. And then we can sit in one of the restaurants that uh, there are a lot of restaurants now that focus on art and on photography and they're interested in having a group there so they offer their room so that we can discuss things and then we can have another walk in the afternoon and then come to my house which is uh, only 20 minutes drive by car from the center of Nice and in this house we have I have a garden and a pool so we can have a nice uh, after work aperitivo and uh, barbecue and jump in the pool if it's warm and uh, discuss photography in a very familiar atmosphere. I, I really like the idea to to just uh, sit together, have a, a beer or a French wine or an Italian wine and, and uh, talk about photography in a not so formal environment. And uh, I think my house is nice for that. Uh, it's big and it's open to lot of people i always have i always fill my house with people i love to have people around here <laughs> yeah i hesitate and, to call yeah. it a workshop because as ralph says work is a four-letter word right <laughs> 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 so it's going to be a very convivial thing and, and very very affordable very cheap so yeah uh, that's my to... idea also i don't want to have something really oh. expensive because that keeps many people of the region away as well so. but we will yeah. do some teaching as well so it's not just getting together and doing a photo walk there'll be some some teaching moments and there's going to be some yeah i'm sure the the moments we will have in, in your villa by the pool with the barbecue are going to be amazing <laughs> there will be french wine there will be french food yes. maybe italian food as well i don't know we'll decide uh and the possibility of also uh extending the 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 event to the Sunday for people who want to stay for mm -hmm. a couple of days. And it's going to be October 20 and 21st in, yes. uh, in near Nice, France. Um, yes. We'll put a link in the show notes. I just don't want to spend a lot of time marketing this event. I just wanted to briefly mention, but we'll put a link in the show notes or people can go to my, my website, tours.ucphoto.me or to your website, Pia. They will find the link there. And if they want to, to join us there, October 2021. Yeah. Right. I should be over there on my way to India and uh, hang out with you guys. Uh, that, <laughs> that, that would be, be wonderful. Fun. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, Nice is a big airport. Um, it's the second in France, so there are a lot of uh, flights going through. Maybe you find a flight going through. <laughs> yeah. Stop I'll over in Nice. You're more than welcome to come. <laughs> Thank you. I'll have to check that out. Um, that's, that's great. Uh, what what kind of uh, other things do you have planned for the for that uh, that weekend there, Ugo? What uh, you know, you say it's not going to be too formal of uh, you know the photography instruction. Uh, what other ideas do you have 
Well, it, as Pia was saying, the, the idea is to uh, explore the city on foot for, uh, for half a day. Then I have some, uh, some discussion, some presentation. I'm going to talk about um, storytelling, probably. Uh, creating a story through a series of pictures shot during uh, uh, an event like this one. I'm going to talk about developing your your style, your vision, and I think Pia here can show her promenade photos to how they <laughs> really fit together with a consistent, uh, a consistent style and look. I think that that's really important. Pia, will your exhibition still be? going will uh, people be able to see your work in uh, oh yes yeah? yes in oh. fact it will still be on yes because at nice. the moment i i have a my very first solo exhibition i'm very happy about this it's in the french german cultural institute which is right on the promenade des anglais actually it's wow. the prolongation it's called but it's it's basically the same you open the windows and you see the seat just like on my pictures Beautiful. and i have a I have uh, 10 big pictures there, the size of one by one meter, uh, printed on this uh, aluminum, which is, as I said before, so so luminous and very, very bright and happy. And it's a very nice place to, to enjoy my pictures, so I'm really happy that it will be on until uh, the end of October. So when Ugo and the group will be here, we can have a walk through this little place there. Yeah, we yeah, certainly fantastic. will. And then, as you okay. said, we will have this... Uh, or convivial event like barbecue uh, yeah the hills your, <laughs> the villa is uh, nestled between the pines uh, overlooking Antibes so it's, it's a great setting uh, I'm sure it's, it's a great. nice setting and I'm really looking forward to learn something because as you said it's it's not really going to be work but uh, the idea is really to have a workshop where yeah. we all can learn something new and so I'm really happy about this I like to call my trips fun shops, not workshops. Fun shops, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good word. Okay, we are having a fun shop for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. That's great. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about something else because, uh, as we said, you're a tropical biologist. Uh, I think that the south of France, I mean, with global warming and everything, uh, our climate is becoming more tropical, but not yet. <laughs> but you just returned from a, a really tropical place. Uh, you, you had a trip to Borneo. So can you maybe tell us a bit about uh, about that? How was it? What did you see there? Was there to photograph? Yes, I, I just came back uh, two weeks ago, in fact. I went there for a conference. Um, I'm part of the Council of uh, the Association for Tropical Biology and Conservation. It's a big association and we meet every year. In a, in a tropical country in order to have the possibility for to give the possibility to to the people who live in tropical countries to join this conference so students from Malaysia for example from Indonesia they cannot necessarily afford to travel to uh, the states or to Europe so we travel there so that they can join the conference they can have workshops they can give presentations and uh, meet all the VIPs of tropical ecology and uh, yes, so what I did, I took the plane in Nice and I flew all my way to Borneo, to Sarawak, actually, to the, to the Malaysian part uh, in northern Borneo. And I went right out of, out of the airplane into the taxi, into the convention center, and I stayed there for a week. And I oh. didn't see a single tree and I wanted to die <laughs> <laughs> because Borneo is really, really high on my list. And uh, it was not my idea to spend a week in Borneo in a convention center. But well, okay. First things first, so I, we had the two-day council meeting and then a week of uh, five days of, of uh, meeting. And uh, after that, I was free to go. And I, I spent 10 days traveling a bit around uh, the region of Kuching, which is in, in northwestern uh, Borneo. And uh, yeah, so it's just amazing. I mean, it's everything that I thought it would be or even better because the nature is just wonderful uh, you have really some beautiful, beautiful national parks with fantastic dipterocarp trees that are still standing there. Huge trees with all the diversity that you can imagine and and all 
all kinds of plants. It's a, it's a little more difficult to see animals. You have to get up very early or, or be just there in a different season. I was there in the dry season, which is maybe not the best time of the year to see a lot of colorful insects or reptiles or amphibians. But I still saw a lot of animals. And uh, I went to to a very interesting place for three days that was organized by the WWF. And we went to a longhouse. The longhouses are the typical houses that some of the tribes of Borneo still live in. And uh, obviously the young generation, they also have cell phones. They want to have the facilities that the cities have uh, with internet and electricity and uh, running water and, uh, and a nice apartment in the first place. But uh, the traditional way is still there. So the people still live in longhouses. And uh, I, I arrived there in this group with other scientists, with other biologists. And the chief welcomed us and said, okay, you two go and stay with this family and you two go and stay with that family. Now, the way a longhouse is built, you have a longhouse. In fact, it's made out of wood, built on stilts. And in this big house, which is maybe 100 meters long, so really long, you have all these little apartments. Not really apartments. They're just separations from the main room there is still this main room and and then you have these separate uh, parts where the families have their their family uh, reunion place where they sleep and also have sometimes have their their meals with, on their own but usually uh, life is really all to everybody together in the longhouse so you just sit on the floor and uh, everybody brings something along and you eat together and this is what we did when we were there and we were just integrated in this community and um, it was fantastic. The people are really, really very open and open also to us taking pictures of them. I asked each time uh, I wanted to take a picture of someone, I asked, uh, do you allow me to take your picture? And they would always look at me and smile and say, oh, yes, please. And then uh, the kids were just curious. And, and just, also uh, in, just wondering yeah. in which language. Oh, they, um, the chief spoke quite some English. Mm -hmm. And some of the of the uh, kids that were like 12, 13, 14, they they speak English because they they if they go to school they learn uh, Malaysian as their first language and English as their second, and in the families they speak their Iban or whatever uh, tribal languages they have uh, hundreds of different languages there, but uh, many people speak English in the longhouses, not so many in the longhouses, but as soon as you as you go to the cities, even into the small towns, everybody speaks English. That's wonderful. And uh, Kuching is the city that I spent most of the time, and they have a beautiful promenade there as well, where you can walk along, and you have all these uh, young kids who just walk around and take uh, pictures with their cell phones and when I wanted to take pictures of them they would smile at me and, and then we would chat in English so it's really really a good place to mingle with the people to to take pictures of, of the of the city they, they love colors so everything is in bright colors in blue and red and green the, the trees and the and the houses it's very colorful very lively the people are really really open-minded uh, to Western tourists and to to photographers so it's uh, it's a nice place it's um, it's better to ask because most of the people are, are Muslims so they they look at you if you try to just steal their picture they're not very happy so it's a form of politeness I think it's everywhere in the world actually uh, that you just ask do you mind if I take your picture and then they are really really friendly and and Nice. I too. see a series coming up, Kuching Promenade Moments. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, Pia, uh, you know, you talk about the promenade there, and a lot of cities have promenades. Have you thought about expanding this, this uh, idea further around the world? I did. I did, actually, because my son studies uh, in Constance, which is a beautiful city on the Lake of Constance, a big uh, lake on the border between Switzerland and, and Germany. And I walked... Uh, along the promenade there <laughs> when I visited my son last year. And I took some pictures which were not really similar, but in a way, yes. Uh, so there I had the idea, maybe I should 
do promenades in my life, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I do uh, some more promenades, but there are so many other things, and uh, I have so many new ideas, so I think I might focus on something else, probably. <laughs> and do you see yourself becoming more of a photographer in the future, or you will always be a biologist first? Uh, you know, when I started, with these promenade moments and I won the prize and everybody started to to congratulate me because of my pictures and uh, because of my my prize and I won other prizes afterwards and I had exhibitions afterwards and so I said wow I would like to be a photographer I mean I'm uh, I'm at the point in my life now where I could say this is something that I could try to do now for the next 10 years and then uh, let's see what happens and I think that that for exactly two days I was a photographer I said now I will be a photographer and I I started to to develop an idea of how to live my life as a photographer and how to gain my money as a photographer and at that point I said well maybe I will remain a biologist <laughs> just because I have well I, I really have a deep passion for biology and and I'm I really have a big network there and I have my job and I have uh, different trips that I planned and everything and the life as a photographer I, I see photographers around me I see young photographers I see older photographers and I see how most of them struggle quite a lot because either you have your specialty or you you really are uh, are an artist that it has a certain respect already so you can sell your pictures to a high price and so you can make a living with this but to get there i mean i i have all this nice reputation here in the region now but still i i and i sold several pictures quite a lot actually but to make a living with that on the long run i think it's pretty hard and unless i wouldn't uh, start to do uh, wedding photography or 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 uh, take pictures of houses that are being sold or something. I think it's really hard to, to make your living, uh, fu full living with photography. So I think I'd rather stay a biologist and have photography as a hobby where I get a lot of uh, really good feelings and, and a lot of happiness with photography, but I'm not forced to make money with them. <laughs> Isn't that the best? Big difference. I think that's the best. <laughs> For me, it's the best. I decided, yes. <laughs> You know, I was just, uh, Borneo is, uh, did you get to any other parts of Borneo? And I was also wondering, the uh, these longhouses, you said they're upwards of 100 meters long. How many people or families were actually living in each one? That's uh, pretty different. The one that we were in, uh, I think there were 15 families or 14, something like that. And every family is composed of usually the old people and the younger kids because the the people who are in the middle say uh, starting at 10 11 12 they are sent off to to school and since there are no schools right there so they they go to a kind of uh, boarding school and they come home on the weekend or they go to the city where they live with some relatives and the problem is that once they go to the city it's really hard to come back because life in a longhouse is very romantic for us when we come there as a tourist and we stay for three, four, five nights. But if you have to live there and make your living there, you realize that it's really, really tough because you live in the middle of nature. You don't have air conditioning. It's really warm. It's really humid. Uh, you have to work. Uh, the, the people go hunting, but there's not much left for hunting anymore. And they, they work on the rice, paddy rice fields and they they have their crops in the forest and it's a really really tough life to 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 live there if you ha have to do this just for your daily living so i think uh from my observations from my discussions that i had with all these people uh and i asked everybody whenever i sit in a taxi i talk to the people whenever i i walk through the city and i take someone's picture i try to talk with the people and and ask them how their life is and what they would like for their future and what their ideas are and what their wishes are and uh there are not many people who wish to live in a longhouse on the long run they rather live in the city and work in it or something uh where you have 
electricity and internet and everything that we have. So that's uh, what we have to face. And on the long run, the orangutans that are still living in the in the forest around there, they will be facing a very hard life as well because illegal logging goes on and uh, the forests get smaller and smaller and there are some uh, nature reserves where they can survive but uh, yeah life is tough and and i don't think that on the long run we will have this wonderful nature there i mean if you look at the development of deforestation in the last decades it's getting worse and worse even that we know more and more how badly this affects the life of everybody not only in borneo but also on other continents so we just don't learn and we go on logging and we go on planting oil palms and other crops and the population of people gets bigger and bigger on the planet and you can't blame them that they don't want to stay living in a very simple life they want to live in cities and the cities provide a lot of um, advantages they have schools there they have medical uh, supplies they have comfort and so I think the development is already like this we have more people living in cities than living in in the landscape uh, in the in the in the country uh, we already passed this uh, one or two years ago I don't don't remember but uh, so now the most of the population of our planet is living in cities and this is increasing and so yeah I think uh, if you want to explore Borneo and other countries with the wildlife it's good to do it fast because the nature is getting less and less wild <laughs> Unfortunately, although we really make an effort from a scientific point of view, we try to cooperate very closely with politicians, with stakeholders, with everybody to in order to not to make the same old mistakes again. But then, yeah, people are still in need to build roads, to build cities, to have cars and we cannot surely not blame them coming from Europe or from the States and tell them, no, you're not supposed to build roads here. You're not supposed to build a city because you have the nice forest with the orangutans. I mean, it's difficult. Yeah, it is. And Ralph, you just returned from, from Costa Rica. How is the situation there in, in terms of conservation? I know it's a country that has a lot of national parks and so on. They are very concerned about conservation, and I was really impressed with how they're trying to limit the amount of people that get to certain areas. Um, they, I believe, uh, and, and there may be parts of the country, and I was only in a very small part of the country, the Osa Peninsula, but National Geographic calls it the most biologically intense place on Earth, and um, uh, it's, it's, it's fairly remote. It's only a 50-minute a flight from the capital of San Jose, so it's it's easy to get to, but uh, maybe not by land. But I think they're doing a, a great job of kind of turning that around and not taking uh, advantage of, uh, you know, the bringing tourists down there just for the short-term tourist dollars. Uh, I think they've done a good job of, of differentiating the short-term and the long-term. Good. So maybe there is an, an example to follow there. Yes, I, I've been to Costa Rica as well, and uh, it's really outstanding in terms of conservation, what, what the country does. I mean, mm -hmm. that is a, really an example to follow. And I think there are so many countries that have the potential to attract tourists, for example, who then pay a lot of money to go to the national parks, to take photographs, to enjoy the wildlife. And they can have a lot of money. They can make a lot of money with this. And Costa Rica is really, really outstanding, but unfortunately also pretty alone. <laughs> there are not so many countries who do the same. There are some countries in Africa, for example, like Botswana or Tanzania, I would say they have a similar approach that they use their wildlife resources for tourism and this way protect them. This works out pretty well in some cases, but in many others, it does not. It's a, it's a thin line. It's a real balancing act, yeah. I think, to do that. Yeah. Okay, so I don't know if you have any other questions, Ralph. Uh, we can just uh, maybe or ask PI if she wants to, to add anything. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit overwhelmed with all this. I'm just happy that you... 
uh, invited me on this show. It's wonderful, and I want to thank you for this. And uh, I will keep on following you and listening to your podcast. And I'm really looking forward to this workshop with you, Hugo, here uh, in uh, in October. And I hope to see you soon here, Ralph, to walk around the city of Nice or whatever else. And yeah, nothing else to add. Yeah, you've would, been a, a great guest, so we can only thank you for uh, for your time today and all the information that you, you gave us. And you just want to tell everyone where they can find you online, where's your website? Yes, my website is uh, com, And uh, then I'm also on Instagram and I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can find me with my name. I also have a special site dedicated only to the pictures of uh, the prominent moments. So you can find me with my name or with prominent moments. And yeah, I'm looking forward to meeting new people virtually <laughs> and uh, have more, more exchange about photography and future ideas. Cool. Yeah, I really encourage everyone to visit Pia's website. And if you happen to be in southern France, get to that exhibition it looks like it's going to be wonderful <laughs> and uh, the people that are going on your workshop are going to have a great opportunity to to actually have a chance of being there with you that's that's fantastic congratulations <laughs> thank you very much yes i i hope that yeah whoever comes around just uh, drop me a note i'm happy to meet people have a coffee and have a little talk about uh, where good places for photography are or just uh, how the life in southern France is, which I enjoy very much. <laughs> Great offer. Awesome. So that's really all for today. I just want to remind everyone that you can find this episode at ttim.photo slash 140. I believe this is going to be episode 140. And uh, you can find all the links and the show notes and some of Pia's images there. But definitely go to her website and see them all. It's not just the prominent moments. There are other galleries in her portfolio that are equally great. So, um, <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, check out our website at ttim.photo. Uh, as for me, you can find me at my website, ucphoto.me, or my tours website, which is just tours.ucphoto.me. And as for you, Ralph, where can people go and find more about you? Yes, uh, please go to photoenrichment.com for more information about me and our upcoming trips. Uh, you can follow me on all the social media platforms at Ralph Velasco and at Photo Enrichment. And very quickly, we've got a couple spots left on our India trip, also Cambodia and Vietnam that finish out the rest of this year. So have a look at uh, the photoenrichment.com website, look for tours and you can get more information or feel free, to, feel free to email me at any time with questions. And now let's get out and shoot. <laughs>